Hello, and welcome to Organic Hideouts. My name is Mike Halkovich, and thank you for joining me. In this podcast, I feature a student, past or present, who has attended Taliesin, Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture. This student in the podcast will discuss the building of a student shelter. The guest in this episode is Carl Thompson Kohut. He is a master's student from New Hampshire. Before coming to Taliesin, Carl studied at Savannah College of Arts and Design. Yeah, no, um, Taliesin actually came to me via uh, hernia. Um, I was in France for a couple months studying abroad and just extremely active there and ended up coming home to a hernia. Um, when I got back, I went home to New Hampshire for surgery. And when I was driving back down to Savannah with my father, I finally convinced him to stop at Falling Water. Um, and it was basically just because he felt bad for me just having surgery that we took the probably eight-hour detour into that western part of Pennsylvania. And it was going there that I bought his autobiography, and I read his autobiography and learned about this fellowship that he developed. And um, then just started researching it and realized it was still around. When Carl speaks, it is easy to see how important creativity is to him. It clearly is a permanent habit. Growing up in New Hampshire, um, I sort of have this rugged individualism. Um, Our state motto is live free or die. Um, So actually creating something that is artistic is never an issue for me. Um, I think I even probably indulge in that a bit too much. Uh, It might be a part of my sort of naivety uh, and trying to define who I am as a designer. Um, It just happens. It just, I can't avoid it. Um, I don't see a reason, and especially in school when most of what you do is only on paper anyways, I don't see a reason in not exploring um, your own idiosyncrasies. You know, what what is it that makes me want to be an architect? And I try to explore that in all sorts of ways, and that just comes naturally. Um, I think the, the harder part is actually trying to um, sort of calm that and tame that drive to do something crazy and wild and unique um, and make something that can have its own expression but also be rooted in uh, the practical requirements. Um, you know, I was, eight, I was 18 before I really picked up a pencil and said, I'm going to try to, like, draw an idea. Um, and I, I just think it's um, this sort of mental block that we have, like, I, to not want to fail. But I think that everyone is capable of being creative. I think that's part of what makes us human. Um, we have these brains that inherently are problem-solving and creatively-oriented, and it's just a matter of uh, exercising that muscle. Um, it's not that you don't have it. It's just that you need to use it in order to gain the powers of it. So I have only done, besides the shelter, theoretical projects. Um, that's just what you do in school. But I think that um, as a designer, as an artist, as an aspiring architect, 
you look at what you do as a lineage, something that will continue to develop, and it's actually, at the end of the day, one large piece. Um, you, the set of your work is one large piece that represents um, your progression and your interests. So, um, yes, I've done a lot of theoretical things. I've done a couple things that were out there, and I would say um, not rooted in building at all. Um, like, for instance, I designed a, a gate here uh, for Taliesin West, and it had these, instead of having your normal gate that swings um, perpendicular to the car, it was actually these large wings that would come down from above and sort of, like, close off the space, um, almost like how bird's wings would close around its own body, as if the body of the bird was the road. Um, and so that was, yeah pretty, um, it was sort of pushing the limits of what you could actually do with gravity. So um, at first I was a, a bit confused, um, but I think what I realized soon was that this place was very much about um, the self-motivated and the self-discipline. Uh, it, it's a place that you come to to um, really fine-tune that and, and sort of test your passion. Um, and the shelter was the same way. Um, it's it's um, a situation where you find yourself having to um, create your own goals and um, find ways to become the architect you want to be. Um, not on your own completely, but um, very much more so than what you would find at a normal institution where everything is sort of standardized and laid out plain and simple for you. After Carl started at Taliesin, he soon moved into a shelter built by a past student named Chelsea Clark. The main benefit of this shelter was that it was above the desert ground and lessened the need to worry about desert animals new to him. Um, it's a, a box risen on uh, pelotes off the ground and I chose that because of um, my um, fear of the critters here. <laughs> I was really not interested in waking up to a rattlesnake or a scorpion in my bed, so I thought a shelter lift off the ground would be the best choice for me. Although this is only the second episode of Organic Hideouts, a couple of themes are becoming very apparent. First, is certainly the creativity of the students and the shelters and their architectural drive to improve and learn. But in addition to that, there is certainly a presence of javelinas. And, and usually you feel quite confident walking through the desert now. Um, you know, at first the, the saguaros standing like people would always kind of make you look twice and think you're looking at a silhouette. Um, but now it's gotten to the point that you do walk through it with quite a bit of confidence. But there is those nights where you hear something sort of like rustling off in the distance. And what most of us do is we just pick up a large rock and <laughs> keep walking to our shelter knowing that if anything comes near us, we'll just throw a rock at it and run the other way. <laughs> you can hear the javelinas in the morning sometimes, um, and you'll know they're coming because you hear all these rocks like getting turned over. Um, and it's the javelinas running up and down the wash because that's sort of what they use as their main thoroughfare. W one of my last couple nights in Chelsea's shelter, which is 
just up the wash from my shelter, and it's actually perched up above the wash, so you're you're sort of looking down over everything. I heard the the stones rumbling, so I opened up my flap, and I had a neighbor across the wash, Cody, staying in one of the original tetrahedron tents. And so I, I just watched the javelina kind of slowly walk around. They were, like, sniffing things, um, and just they made their way over to his tent, and I saw that they were sniffing, and I knew where he, his head is when he sleeps, and they were sniffing right at his head. <laughs> and I started laughing a bit, and then I hear Cody, like, run up and jump up out of bed and he comes out and he's standing there in his boxers just all confused and he sees me just like pointing and laughing at him and he still doesn't know what's going on and I'm like what's up today and I try to do it without saying anything to scare them off and he finally like saw them running off in the distance um, and realized that the snap uh, was the javelina sniffing his head. Carl's shelter was mostly built during this past December and January. His father flew out to help him and the two of them spent Christmas and New Year's Day in a slightly different way compared to past years. Well, we did experience some very cold days where we woke up to frost, um, but being that we, my dad had came up, come out here to do the shelter and that I was so energized to do the shelter, um, we would essentially work from sunup till sundown every, every day just about, um, Christmas we did end a little early for uh, a Christmas dinner, um, which we had with our, our dean, actually. That was pretty interesting. Um, and then New Year's as well. well. Actually, New Year's Day. Yeah, we started a little late. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, we were working basically uh, eight-hour days, all the, all the sunlight that we could get. Um, and they weren't, um, I would say, super rigorous days. I mean, we weren't like killing each other out here, but we were definitely um, both very oriented at getting the job done and working harder to make sure that happened. So we we did finish the structure and the louvers, I think, three days before my dad's uh, departing flight was. Carl's shelter is a wooden structure. It contains louvers looking out at the desert and a few bolts keeping everything together. In addition, the wood won't last long, which he is well aware of, but he is also interested to see how it changes and weathers. And so the idea for the shelter became this wall that's sort of like infrastructure, but also sort of like the rocks and the soil. And then the shelter is this octahedron that gets sort of plumped on top, and it's constructed entirely out of wood um, and meant to be something that is ephemeral. It's connected only with six bolts to the wall, and you can remove those bolts. You can take the entire um, octahedron or what is at its core an octahedron off of the wall, and another student can reinterpret the wall into another shelter um, of their own expression but the wall sort of remains as this piece of infrastructure to this, the, the desert and our uh, shelter program. So what I sleep in is, it's really, it's the frame is half of an octahedron, so it's half of a diamond with a floor that sort of explodes out of one side across the wall, 
and it cantilevers out over the existing site, which is like a large concrete pad. Um, the, the louvers um, are meant to allow air to come through. Uh, though we've had some cold nights recently, it's normally generally very hot here, and I prefer to be as cool as possible. So the thing with the louvers and having an inclined plane and a declined plane is that they allow for air to easily come up through and under the shelter um, and sort of help as a cooling um, mechanism. And then the other side of the shelter where the floor sort of explodes out and cantilevers over the concrete slab, um, that gets finished with a, a canvas. And that canvas is connected back to the structure with some rods, fiberglass rods. And those uh, serve the purpose of being elastic. And what happens is I have a ballast weight at the end of the cantilever, and I can attach that ballast weight to the rods, and they'll close down, and the whole canvas kind of like comes in and encapsulates the uh, entire shelter and closes it off, and that sort of functions as like a door, I guess you could say. But it's more, it's like an awning door. Um, because, again, the louvers... Uh, relationship to an inclined and a declined plane, um, what happens at the um, RS of the form is that the louvers go from being this close-knit um, pattern, which is to shed rainwater, um, down at the base, just about a foot above the floor, they become this very open, um, actually like viewing window out to the desert around. And even further, the, the floor, uh, the floorboards, I spaced those out um, in this sort of increasing way so that from the backside, sort of behind my head where I'm sleeping, they're actually right next to each other. And then increasingly they um, get a larger gap so that at the other side of the floor, it's almost um, a two-inch gap. And that was this idea of um, the desert having soft edges. A lot of the plants here don't have a hard edge. They go from this very densely vegetated interior to, at, the, at their edges, this light, uh, lacy sort of vegetation. And so the first night there, um, those two things were very powerfully um, impacting the space. And it was raining, so that was also an attribute, and I was glad to be dry. But what I could see was through those cracks of the louvers and the cracks of the floor, um, that I was hanging out over the desert, and I could really feel that. And that was that was an intention of the design, and it was great to feel it and see that it was actually working. Um, but the canvas that uh, is on one half, that did rip, actually. The first night I put it on, we had some really insane, gusty winds, and it was made um, with as inexpensive canvas as I could find at the time. So right now there is a tarp covering <laughs> half of it and so that part of the experience is keeping me dry uh for the time being but isn't something that's so great and uh the new canvas is in production and i think when that gets put on um it'll be done in, in three to four weeks i actually went to a professional uh tent and awning company to get it done this time um i think when that's complete it will really become the whole holistic idea that it was meant to be um where i open and close the shelter as I leave and enter it. Before wrapping up the show today, I would like to feature two of Carl's recommendations. 
These are recommendations that I will be asking all guests of the show. The recommendations are either a movie or a piece of literature that they feel was important to them and worth you investigating. Carl chose one movie and one work of literature. His movie that he recommended was Mr. Nobody. And on a literature side, he is a big fan of Candide by Voltaire. And that's about it for this episode. I would like to thank Carl Thompson Cohut very much for spending much time with me explaining his shelter and explaining his background in his theories on architecture and creativity. I will have another episode in about three months. If you'd like to contact me, I can be reached at organichideouts at gmail.com. And I thank you for listening.